but I want to introduce some friends of ours that I failed to do before. Uh, Jan and Barry Potter, they're sort of right there in the middle. Wave, we're stand up. Yeah, you can stand up, they're there. Uh, we graduated from Bible college with them uh, 50 years ago. Well, they were one year behind us, but he was part of our wedding. We, he came to our wedding, actually, for Judy and me, and uh, uh, we've kept contact. They've been missionaries with Overseas Missionary Fellowship for all these years, and uh, they lived in Japan for 28, and they stopped by, and we're glad to have them in our house, and if you want them in your house, let us know. Yeah, welcome them. Welcome them. Bless you. Good. Well, again, I want to welcome all, you, all of you here this morning to uh, come to God's presence and do this on this day. We welcome all you uh, home people, Facebook and StreamSpot to website. Thank you for being here with us. It's good to be in God's house. The last few days have been wonderful weather-wise, right? Weather-wise, we like this. It can only get better from here, I hope. <laughs> it's good. Well, listen, take your Bibles, and we're going to start this morning in uh, 1 Timothy First Timothy chapter 6 is where we've been uh, last week and this week. Um, again, I want to remind you of the, um, the uh, little acronym or little sentence we've been using for the last number of weeks. C plus C plus C equals? C. Well, three of you remember. Let's try it again. C plus C plus C equals? C. Well, 14 more. C plus C plus C equals? C. Senor? <laughs> C, senor. No, no, that's a different C. Yes, yes, amen. No, the C, remember, uh, we've been working through this pattern in Scripture for our own lives. It's circumstances. Life happens. Circumstance will create conflict. Things come. Friction begins to develop. Some of those are, are very good for us because it causes us to uh, understand our values and what is important to us. It's important in marriage to understand that when that conflict arises, uh, you have an opportunity to work it through. And if you do it properly, it will require you to make a choice. And all conflict will require a choice. That's the third C, choice. So circumstances create a uh, conflict. Conflict uh, requires a choice. And some of those conflicts are bad, and they divide and bring division in our lives and really a lot of problems. But it still requires that choice. What are you going to do with that? And every choice we make will produce a consequence. So circumstances will bring about conflict. Conflict will require a choice, and ch that choice you make will produce a consequence, a result of where you're going to enter up or where you're going to end up. And we've been considering those, and, uh, and yet the last couple of weeks I've taken a different tact by saying uh, in that process uh, we have had, and remember we covered this, is we have made a lot of mistakes through the years. We have had a lot of consequences for choices we made that we discovered weren't so good. And we understood then that God's grace is good and that those scars we have in life can be a roadmap by which you tell of God's grace. And it's just like the scars you may have on your body through an accident or an injury or uh, just messing around with your sister and she punches you and you get a scar or throws you off the porch. She's not here, but I could talk about her. <laughs> Throw me off the porch onto a rusty wheelbarrow. That's this scar here, and the other one she gave me down here. You know, so sisters are wonderful people. Anyway, I have stories. I can make them up all day if you want, but, but you know what I'm talking about. All the scars in life, they become our story, and I'm thank, I thank God for scars. Otherwise, we'd just be bleeding, messy bodies running around, but God allows us to scar, 
But spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, relational issues, we have scars. People that have hurt us, and we have that scar. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, and many of us have a scar where that heart was put back together by the Lord and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But they can become our testimony, a, a roadmap of God's grace in our life. And then we talked about in that, then we discover what kind of life we've rooted ourselves into. Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, which talks about the matter of being like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which brings forth its fruit in its season, and leaf won't wither, and it will withstand the drought. Because our roots have gone deep, we could talk about that, and we have done that. But I, I'm, I'm taking this different position to say, now instead of walking through and find ourselves in the middle of a conflict requiring choice and waiting on the consequence, we want to get ahead of that. We want to get ahead of that and have a mindset, a biblical mindset, if you will, that would say, this is how I'm choosing to live. These are the things that I'm going to look for in my life, the disciplines of my walk with God, or how I'm going to address that next circumstance that comes. And last week I lived, gave a whole list of the categories of my life that will be affected. My work, my uh, relationships, my body, my health my finances, my family, and your family, and our family, everybody's family, you know, because creates issues that we've got to deal with. And those are areas, and we went through some scripture that helps us to work that out. Lots of things. But there's also lots of things that will cut us down and stop us in that process. Sometimes we face failure. We said, man, I sure blew that one, and it takes time to rework that relationship or come through that uh, financial bad decision or learning how to just wait on God. So we went through all that with the question, where am I going to end up? And I'll just quote uh, Carl, uh, Lewis Carroll, I think the name is, or Carol Lewis, whatever it is, uh, Alice in Wonderland, where Alice came to a fork in the road and asked the Cheshire cat, fork of the road, which way should I go? And the cat just looks at Alice and says, which way do you want to, where do you want to go? She said, well, I don't know. And he said, it doesn't matter then. Take whichever road you want if it doesn't matter. Too many of us live life like that. It doesn't matter. Well, I'll just go until I don't know where it's going to end up. So God calls us to live intentionally with purpose according to his word and according to what he has for us. So we went to 1 Timothy because Timothy uh, was a, a young man mentored by Paul who Paul came, comes to the end of his life and begins to give him a word. 1 Timothy 6. You should be there. Look down at verse 11. But you... Now, he's talking to Timothy, and if you're in the Bible, if you have a little paragraph, it says uh, Paul's final charge to Timothy. So Paul, the older man, he said, I'm going to tell you some things. I'm going to give you some uh, warnings. I'm going I'm to talk to you because you need to know this as you are future. This is not, the paragraph we're going to read is not one of, now that you've messed it up, let me tell you how you could have done it different. No, this is a, a forward look to say, this is what you need to do in order to walk and be successful and to fulfill what God's called you to do. So we read this last week. Let me read it again. But you, man of God, flee from all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let me just stop right there for a minute. You know, it is very important that we confess our life 
Uh, we often do that at your water baptism or you're baptized and you give your testimony. This is my decision to follow Christ and I met him and you make a good confession. I think all of us, if you walked with the Lord in any number of years, you've been able to make a good confession sometime along the way. But he said, now listen, you've got to take hold of that thing and not just say, oh yeah, I did that back there, but I'm not doing it now. No, you hold fast to that thing. Okay, moving on. He said, uh, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Verse 13. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, King of kings and Lord of lords who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see but to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Breaks out in worship. Him, we're going to give him praise forever and ever. Well, Paul's prophetic sharpness to Timothy, we saw, and, and I pray that God really worked some of that into all of us this past week, was when he called him a man of God. He said, I'm speaking into you. I'm not just trying to get on your good side, Timothy. I'm not trying to just say, hey, you're a nice guy. He said, back in 1 Timothy 1.18, he said, you have... Well, just turn back one, just a couple pages, 118, so I can read it for you. 1 Timothy 118. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you might, may fight the battle well. He said, Timothy, God had his hand on you. People prayed for you. People spoke the word of God over you. You have been put uh, God has put things into you. Now you have risen to that. The treasure of God is in you, man of God. And I'm beginning to call that out of who you are. And if you were, re remember, we talked a lot about the matter of how we look at each other. Timmy said, you're just not a young guy, upstart coming along. You'll make it someday. But he said, inside of you is a treasure. And I hope that you begun to, to look at others in the, the realm of God working in them and being in them rather than how we criticize one another. Oh, they're this way. Oh, they're that way. Oh, rather than look them in the eye and say, listen, I see, I see something of God in you. I see that God has good things for you, that prophetic voice into people. So this word man of God really was important to him. It really spoke into his life. There's a young man who... Um, well, he was young when he was born, like we all are, of course. Very young when he was born. Uh, 1897, he was born in western PA, into poverty on a little farm. And uh, they struggled as a family, but in 1912, uh, came to Akron, Ohio. And he got a job at 15, working in a tire company. And this young man uh, was walking home one day, and there was a street preacher I don't know, that's such an old term. Does anybody remember street preachers? Ever see one in your life? Oh my goodness, we got to start again. I mean, even back when we were in Bible college, we had to go into Calgary, Alberta, stand on the street and preach and hand out tracts to people preaching. But that was a common thing back in the day. And he says, walking home from the rubber shop, the, 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 the preacher was saying, he said, if you don't know how to be saved... You just go call on God. 
Well, this young man went home, went up to the attic of his house, got on his knees and cried out to God. And he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That was about 1915. By 1919, he had left the rubber shop and A.W. Tozer began a journey that lasted over 44 years of preaching the gospel. He only had an elementary school up to grade eight education. He became self-taught. He was an editor of a mag Christian magazine, wrote eight books, had countless numbers of sermons produced in his life. Because as a young man, he made a decision. He lived a simple life. He never owned a car. He passed away in 1963 at the age 66, never owned a car, preferred buses or trains. He passed in West Virginia, Chicago, and ended up in Toronto, Canada. What's interesting about A.W. Tozer, as a choice that happened, um, he, he, he was known um, way in those years, not so much anymore, as such an amazing man of God. Some of his quotes, let me read just a couple of them for you. If you've never read A.W. Tozer, I recommend you find his books. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He said this, God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. Only to know this is to quiet our spirit and relax our nerves. To know that God's never in a hurry. He's got all the time in the world. There it is. He said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God, that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. How's that? He was, he was known as, the 20th century, as a 20th century prophet. He said, sometimes I go to God and say, God, if thou dost never answer another prayer while I live on the earth, I will still worship thee, Old English, as long as I live and in the ages to come for what thou hast done already. God's already put me so far in debt that if I were to live one million millenniums, I could never pay him for what he has done for me. Pretty interesting statements. He said, refuse to be average. Let your heart soar as high as it will. When he died, um, his final resting place is over here in Ellet in the Ellis Cemetery in the corner of Albrecht and 91 Canton Road. And there's a, a gravestone there that simply says A.W. Tozer, 1897-1963, and it says, A Man of God. That's all it says. His goal, in, had seven children, raised them, gave half of everything he had away, but his desire was, he said, I simply want to fulfill what God's put into me when I met him that night in the attic of my home here in Akron, Ohio, and said, I want to live for God. And he wrote and wrote and preached and preached about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, being a man of God is important. Tim, Paul calls Timothy, man of God, there you are. And he said, this is who I am. So I asked a question to myself when I was thinking all this through again. What are they going to put on my grave? What are they going to put on your gravestone? Never could figure it out. You know, there, that'll work. He started out well. No, that didn't work. Oh, he gave up. Well, that didn't work either. Never got it going. What are they going to put on? I remember talking years ago, I talked to somebody at the old Cornerstone bookstore. 
And I said to the, the, the gal, and she was sort of a feisty person, I said, what are they going to put on your grave? At least I didn't kill anybody. I said, well, I, gotta, I said, when I, find, when I find your grave, I'm going to chisel on that we've found out. <laughs> because she was a little feisty there, and Bill and June know who that was. But anyway, so where are you going? You see, circumstances in life will come. Your life will unfold. But where are you going to come? Where are you going to head? What, what is your destiny? What, what consequence do you want to have in your life? And several weeks ago, we talked about the matter of the eternal question. Do you want to go to heaven or you want to go to hell? We talked about that major, major question. But in our normal walk, Paul's writing to Timothy. He said, I need you to live a decisive, intentional walk with God, with purpose. He said, but I'm not just going to tell you to do that. I want to tell you how to do it. Number one, he said, if you go down, well, he gives four things. Fight, pursue, take hold of, and what was the fourth one? Fight and take hold of. Fight, pursue, fight the good fight of briefly, take hold. You got it. It doesn't matter. You got it. You can read it. We'll, we're going to cover them all. But the first one he said, flee. Run from all this. He said, first thing I'm going to tell you, Timothy, man of God, you who are following, rising up to everything God's called you to be, put in your, his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus on the love and the good works. Now I want you to run away. I want you to... to uh, to, to shun things, to vanish, the word means, to escape, to find a place uh, away from danger or situation. Take a run for it. Take flight. Make a break for it. Run. A funny thing happened in Darlington, Maryland, several years ago, a number of years ago now. Edith, the mother of eight, was coming home from a neighbor's house one Saturday afternoon. As she walked into the house, she saw five of her youngest children huddled together concentrating with intense interest on something. As she slipped near them, trying to discover the center of attention, she couldn't believe her eyes. Smack dab in the middle of the circle were several baby skunks. She screamed at the top of her voice, children, run! Each kid grabbed a skunk and ran. <laughs> oh, I think of, no, stop! No, run! Drop it! I don't know, what, I don't know what, how that ended up. But you know what? We, we in our generation right now in our world, we are so teenager. Now, any teenagers, I don't mean to be critical, but I, we all was one of them one time. Why? Was what we would say. Mom would run and say, hey, you guys, run, quick. Why? Because they said, no, why? You got I don't want to. It's too hot. I don't want to go outside. You know, all those things that we say when we're kids, and then we'd give the classic, whatever. <laughs> Never mind, you give the role, whatever, Mom. I, I think of Timothy, and he's reading this, and Paul just hollers at him, run, flee. I wonder how, what, was, what was his reaction to that? I mean, how would you respond if you get a letter from your pastor and said, run? Well, where? How far, how fast do I go? But Paul adds, he said, from all this. Now, for you Bible students, when you read the Bible and study the Bible, you have to answer some of the questions. Where, what is the all this he's talking about? Flee from all this. Let's go back up a few verses, get the context, go back up to um, the middle of verse 2. Or toward the end of verse 2. 
he writes, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they're conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest to co in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. For if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this. He gives a couple of main thoughts about the all this. And the first one of those, I could sort of sum up, it says, hold on to the truth of the word of God. Hold on to that. Get away, run away from people who teach false doctrine. Now, what you're going to be able to see here is nothing but 2021 world. It's a world in which people are twisting and turning the word of God to make it into whatever they think they want it to be. We live in, Jesus said in the last days, there'll be a great deception on the earth. I think we're experiencing that. See, doctrine is simply this. Doctrine is simply a set of teachings that adhere to uh, a truth that's and believed in to be true. It's a teaching. What false doctrine is, or false teaching becomes, is one that turns away from that truth and contradicts or nullifies it, uh, particularly in dealing with God's word. They take the word of God and make it of no effect. It nullifies. It's a false, it's a twisting of the truth. So we have talked a lot about that here regarding the deception that's rampant in our world. Let me just give you a couple to remind you. He's saying to them, look down at verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise, doesn't agree to the sound doctrine or instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching. He said what they are doing, and by the way, this is not new. This was written way back in that first century time period. It's been going on ever since. Actually, it started at the beginning in the garden. I'm going to twist God's word to say something other than it is, and you have a choice on how you, are you going to obey that word or not. So Paul said, listen, you've got, Timothy, you've got to run from this. Take note of these people who are beginning to take the truth of the word of God and they're beginning to twist it. The, our world has already eliminated any concept of hell. And we talked about it again. All people use as hell as a, a, as a cuss word. It's a word that, what the blank, you know, and it's just all part of our conversation. No reality of what it, God really says in his word is about the eternal gnashing of teeth where the fire rages and the worm doesn't uh, die off and no one, uh, is, you know, it's nothing's quenched. It's a, it's a terrible place. You were never designed, man was never designed for eternal judgment in hell. But sin entered the world. That was reserved for Satan and his angels, but sin entered the world and people have a choice. 
And when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, eternal life comes in you and you can live forever in the joy of the Lord and in his presence. And if you choose not to, which you have the choice, you can end up in a Christless eternity away from the presence of God forever. But people today have erased that. Oh, I don't want to serve a God that would be like that. Well, you're not going to, but, but God is never going to change. God is a righteous judge, and he's going to be just and fair. So people erase hell. People have many paths to God. Jesus said it very clearly, John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but except by me, through me. There's one way, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the only way. But how many ways are there today? Even churches are teaching, well, you know, believe sort of what you want. Take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, do that. Jesus, well, you know, don't, don't. And, and people have changed the whole path to God thing. People have re redefined Jesus, denied the virgin birth. These are doctrinal teachings, the virgin birth, the incarnation of Christ, and they've walked away from that. In fact, there's been a recent Barna study that 42% of people who claim to be evangelical Christians believe that Jesus sinned. Except that the Word of God said he knew no sin. He didn't have sin in him. So what are you going to believe? You're going to believe the teachers that say, well, Jesus was just like us. He sinned. He had struggles. He was whatever. And that's not the truth. So people are reading, you can do whatever you want to do is the new definition. But God, it's irrelevant. Come on. It's just a, a book that was written. Everybody's got a little piece here and there. You can do what you want. You can, you can, you can sin if you want. It's okay. Paul said they teach wrong things. And they don't even agree, agree with each other. They don't agree with God. They don't agree in his word. What, what happens? Look down. He said, they're conceited and understand nothing. So they're full of their arrogance. They sound good. They feel good, but they're arrogant. And they have an unhealthy interest in uh, arguments, contrary words. Notice as he said, unhealthy interest in controversy, quarrels about words. Words, words, words. If we ever live in a time when there's words, there's lots of words now. Lots of words everywhere. And people just quarrel about the words. What I'm concerned about is they're redefining words all the time in our present culture. Things that meant one thing don't mean that anymore. And people can look at you in a straight face and lie to you and say, well, that doesn't mean that. What do you mean? The Bible says it this way. Well, the Bible didn't really mean that. It means this. You can be whatever you want to be. If you want to be a cricket, you can be a cricket. I don't know where crickets came from. Anyway, if you want to be a frog, you want to be a turtle, you want to be a half guy, half girl, I don't know. But the Bible says male and female created he them. We're created as men and created as women. That's who we are. But when we go to redefine it, we try to get a new definition. Men are, are, are changing things. And to Timothy, way back 2,000 years ago, he says, Timothy, you got to run away from that stuff. Watch out. Because when you see the consequences of what they're doing and all their talk and all their twisting and turning, it sounds good. But it's not the truth. He said, look at the results. There's envy. Envy is produced by that. It's a, um, a desire to have what others have. It's a discontent. Envy is a part of that. Strife, anger fund over fundamental issues. I don't know. Again, I'm just talking to people. You know this. We live in a time of great anger. Where does that come from? It becomes that you're not doing what I think I can do. 
Well, I can do what I can do. Yeah, but I don't like it. And so it's just a real mess of anger that has come about in our culture. Malicious talk, words that are intended to harm and to be mean and evil. And then evil suspicions. You can follow the scripture right down. And said evil suspicions. There's distrust, making others victims. Other people are guilty for my issues. It's not me. I'm putting the suspicion on them. Constant friction, it said, between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. There is no truth there. Who, uh, and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So what he's writing to Timothy, he said, you've got to learn to look at this and then run from it. Kids, that skunk in the middle of the circle is going to stink. There's consequences if you play with baby skunks, particularly if their mother finds you. You're done. So run, run. So if we begin to get a mindset of the Lord, we say, Lord, give me eyes to see what I need to run from, what I need to be aware of. I love to think that all of us would recognize this stuff right away. I, I wish that all of us, we, have, we can see the deception, we can run and flee from it. But we don't. Why? Because it's palatable. It feels good to my flesh. Well, you want to be a loving person, right? You want to be loving and kind? Yeah, I do. But I'm not going to sacrifice the truth of the Word of God to do that. I'm going to call things what they are. We're going to, I'm going to live according to the Word of God. Oh, but they're just so good people. Oh, we're just talking. It's just a little gossip. It's a little seductive talk. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we don't really have an excuse not to know the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved unto God a workman. That's, you need not be ashamed of rightly dividing the word of God. Ephesians, that's 2 Timothy 2.15. Ephesians 4.14. No longer tossed about by every wind of doctrine. So we need to watch that. The second thing he talked about, the this, was first of all, watch what's being taught. Walk in the truth of the word of God. And the second was, is an attitude or a worldview concerning material things. Money and wealth. They start out, the end of verse 5, godliness is a means to financial gain. But he said, wait a minute, godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me talk to you about that. If you're going to walk with godliness, becoming like Jesus, walking in the word, walking in the truth, with contentment of that, that's where the gain comes from. That's where the peace comes from. And then he makes such an obvious statement that I don't know that any of us really grab hold of it. I didn't come in with anything, and I'm not going to take anything out with me. As someone has often said, there are no U-Haul trailers going up to the cemetery for you to take your stuff with you. It's not there. You brought nothing. You came in with nothing. We're going out with nothing. Material speaking. There was a, a funeral service, and the open castle was there, and the, the uh, dear husband had passed away. And people were walking past, giving their, showing their respects and just sympathizing with the widow. But there laying on his chest was a check for $25,000, just laid on the, on, the, on the body. And so people just walked by, oh, he looks, well, yeah, they're not bad for being dead, you know. Um, you can say anything you want when you pass me, you know. He never did look that good anyway. They did a fine job, made him look pretty good. You know, but anyway, check for $25,000, people walk by. Pretty soon, curiosity is just bursting in people's minds. What is that doing for? They went to wife. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that he passed away, but what's the $25,000 check for? 
She said, he made me promise over and over. He was getting sick. He made me promise. He said, give me 25000 so that I can get a fresh start on the other side. Tuesday, you'll get that. It's a check. It's not cash. It's a check. If he cashes this on Tuesday, somebody's going to be in trouble. There's no money going anywhere, right? Uh, scratch that story off. Never use that story again. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus gives us godly uh, words of how to walk, run away from people who are otherwise. Verse 19, Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is. Jesus said it clearly. God's kingdom operates on a whole different mentality. It's where you find your heart. It's, it's the understanding of where your heart is. There's, you know, that's where your treasure is going to be. And your treasure is where your heart's going to be. On many labels of, of packaging we all have in our cupboards, there's those warning labels. Discontinue use if a rash develops. Don't do that. If nausea results, stop it. Call your doctor. If what you're eating or taking is a medicine and you start to lose your memory, your vision goes, your blood pressure increases, please stop. Don't do it anymore. So Paul writes, he said, listen, be careful when you see what could result. When things result, the consequences of choices and behaviors, stop it and run away from this stuff. And then if we're back in 1 Timothy 6, he goes on to say, he said, be, be careful what's 1 Timothy 6 back there. He said, be careful what goes on with that. For if we have food and clothing, be content with that. Those who want to get rich, now listen to this, the, these consequences. You want to get rich, here's your choice. I'm going to go after riches. You can fall in temptation, a trap, foolish desires, harmful desires, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced them through with many griefs. They've been pierced through. That word's interesting because it means to put on a spit and put it over a fire and turn it to be pierced through with many griefs. Torture of your soul. I could say, well, God didn't mean all that, did he? Yeah, I did. So Paul's telling Timothy, you've got to flee from all this if you're going to go through. But our culture, you know, money's an indicator of exchange. It's, an indi it's, a, it's a matter of exchange. For $15 an hour, I'll work for you for an hour. You, I'll work, you give me $15. Well, it's our life, 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week. You're exchanging your life for something in return. It works in the barter system as well. What it is, is it, it's an exchange. It's something that happened. So the issue is not of the possession. It's not in what happens. It's where you find your source, your life, what your worldview is. 
You know, it, it's, just, it, it's, just a, it's just part of my life. It, we all have it. It's an internal point of view that we need. God, I give you my life. Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Luke chapter 12, he gives the parable of the rich man who gets at the end. He said, I've got more food than I know what to do. i got more grains. My barns are filled. So I will put up some more barns and fill those. And eat, drink, and be merry. doesn't really matter. I've got everything I need. And the Bible said in uh, Luke chapter 12, but the Lord came to him and said, this night your soul is required of you. He said, this is like those who are, who are not rich towards God. It's a requirement. Luke 12, 22 said, don't worry. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So the question comes to Timothy. What is it I'm supposed to run from, Paul? Watch your worldview. Watch what you're listening to. Watch what your, the doctrines are that are going there, the deception of the day. And having that false sense of what's important and grab hold of God. And I come to this again this morning. That we have to understand that in this time that we live, when we're walking in the purpose of God, and we'll talk about the pursuit of righteousness later. But go down to verse 13. He said, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything of Jesus Christ. In the sight of God. And this morning, I want us to understand that we do this in the sight of God. God sees my life. He sees my heart. He gives me warnings. And I want to follow those. I know you do too. I know you, we want to follow God's way. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, I'm telling you how to face the next choice in life. The next thing that comes, I want you to decide. Are you going to walk God's way? Are you going to go pursue God's way? Or are you going to go after your own flesh and your own way? Don't do that. Run from that. Hold on to the word of God. Hold on to truth in the sight of God. In church, that's where grace comes. That's where his grace flows to us so we can walk in his power. We can walk in his strength. And we're not going to bow to the stuff of this world. So I encourage you this morning. I call on you this morning that walk into all that God has for you. And walk with him deliberately, keeping your eyes open. Run away from stuff that's wrong. Just run away. Don't argue with it. Run away from it. We could talk about Joseph when he ran away from Potiphar's wife. Just ran away. That's what we're called to do. So, I want you to run. Paul said to Timothy, I say to you, flee all this. But then pursue after God. That, he doesn't stop with the run. He said, now run this way, pursuing that. Would you stand with me, worship team, you come. As we wrap our hearts up together before the Lord, just stand with me. Father God, I pray that in this serious time that we live, that we would see clearly your word and your truth. That we would run from the false teachings and the stuff. That we would know what those are. That we would see them and understand the things that are going to take us on a different road. We want to stay true to you. We want to walk in your way, your truth, and your life, Lord Jesus. So we bow before you this morning. We give you our hearts afresh today for this day and the, this week and as the days to come. So, Lord, we come before you. So what's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Just allow God to speak to your heart. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, give him your heart. Call upon his name. But brothers and sisters, it's time we rise up and walk in truth, walk in his life. May this be our prayer this morning. Let's sing.
I will.